All right, so this morning, I want to do a, uh, a message for you that um, it was not what I had planned for you uh, for today. Uh, I had a completely different message planned until Friday morning, um, and I was back uh, in, the, in the hallway talking with Denise, and we were discussing just various things that were on her mind, and it was a conversation that I had had with probably, without exaggerating, about 50 people over the last few months. And after talking to Denise, I thought, geez, I should probably speak on this sometime. Why not this week? (laughs) You know, I mean, I had something ready, but why not just start all over again on Friday morning? That's going to work out great. Um, but I thought, you know what? This is, this is actually, this is actually important. And, uh, I think there's probably more people here dealing with the same thing, um, than I even know about. But the, the title of today's message is, What Are We Doing? Um, and I think this is a massively important topic for the day that we're in as well as the days of he- days ahead. And basically the idea the idea is this. At some point many of us have an idea where God is leading us in our life. You might believe you have a calling on your life to do this or to that, to be in the mission field, to uh to preach or whatever and you feel like you have a calling that you're supposed to be moving towards, but you're not there. And maybe you haven't been there longer than you expected to not be there. And you're wondering what happened. Did I miss it? Did I go left when I should have gone right? Did I zig when I was supposed to zag? What was going on? Uh, maybe God is so disappointed in how pathetic I am, he decided that I am no longer called to that. Because he probably didn't know what my future was going to look like. And it can be very, it can be very discouraging when we think we're off track or somehow what we thought our life was going to look like is no longer that way. There could be a thousand different reasons why you are where you are, but the end result is that everything that you thought would happen maybe by now hasn't happened. And when you look at other people's life, it's even worse because they look like everything's fine. Their life is perfect. Their life is amazing. Of course God is working in their life. But you probably don't know that's actually more than likely not true. They're probably feeling something very similar to you because they're on a different place in their journey than you're on in yours. I'm willing to bet that many of us feel this way either now or you have. And if you haven't, it's coming. Some point in time in your life, it will show up. Big smile on its face. I'm here. So one of the questions that we wrestle with in this type of situation is, why aren't things the way that I thought they would be? You know what God spoke to you. You know the path he showed you. You know the calling that he's placed on your life. Maybe you received a word or it's been verified in a couple of different ways. But it's not happening the way you thought it would happen. You might have even had a plan. I know, see, God called me and here's what I'm going to do, A, B, C, and I'm there. This is how this is supposed to work. Now let me ask you a question. Does anybody know... What these are. Building plans, right? These are actually the building plans for this building. Now, it's interesting 
that it shows you what it's supposed to look like when it's done. But that's all it shows you. You get an idea what the calling is, what the goal is, what the destination is, but it does not tell you what is going to happen along the way. It does not tell you how long it's going to take to build. It doesn't tell you how many times the building inspector is going to walk in in a bad mood and decide to make your life a living problem just because they can. It just shows you what the finished product is supposed to look like. Our life in Christ is very much the same thing. When you feel God has called you to a certain destination or a certain goal, maybe it's ministry, maybe it's a a career, whatever it is, you may see the end goal. But you do not know how long that goal is going to take. You do not know the path that God is going to lead you to take you there. And here's something that's really amazing that we all need to understand is when God calls you into a role, you are not skilled enough to be there right now. You are not temperate enough. You don't have the right emotional uh, capabilities to be there right now. You don't know enough right now. You are not the person right now to be what God is going to have you be later. You are not all that and the bag of hummus. Right? They didn't have chips back in. I'm just saying. You are not everything God has ever looked for in a human. Boy, if I could have picked Jesus before, it would have been you. Man, are you amazing. That's not it. He called you not because of what you are now. He's called you because of what he can make you into then. But he's got to get you there. He's got to build something in your life. And that means there's a path that you're going to have to walk. And usually that path is not the path that we would pick for ourselves. You ever thought this is uh, thought this in your life? This is not how I envisioned my life. This is not the life that I dreamed of when I was a kid. Nope. But it's the life you got. So what are you going to do now? You know? When I was a kid, I used to work out a lot. I had abs, and I was pretty sure I was going to have abs my whole life. I do have abs. I have just misplaced them under a pile of cinnamon rolls and Twinkies, I'm relatively sure. Now I have an ab. That's about it. Not what I thought was going to happen, but here I am, killing it, loving it, bite by bite. As long as I don't get caught with it, because I'm not supposed to eat that stuff anymore. (laughs) Now, we might have complete faith in the goal, but we want God to get us there our way. And that's the problem. That's the issue. You think your plan is God's plan. You think your way is his way. And you think you figured out what he's doing. And the problem is, that is just not the case. I want to show you two people's lives throughout Scripture, and they're two of my favorite people in biblical history. Uh, The first one is Joseph. In Genesis 37, verse 3 through 11, we read this. 
Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Pay attention to the next line. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he, uh, uh, when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. He says, listen to my dream. We were out in a field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before me. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Really? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way that he talked about them. Soon, Joseph had another dream. Couldn't let it go, could he? Had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and the 11 stars bowed before me. That would be mom, dad, and all of you, by the way. That's what that means. This time, he told to dream to his, to his father as well as to uh, his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But now listen to the wisdom of the father compared to the wisdom of the brothers. But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. He knew there was something to it. What did God show Joseph? If you want to read the rest of the story, you can do it. It's at the end of the book of, uh, book of Genesis. Just go ahead and check it out. Not right now. Starting in about chapter 37. Wait till I'm done. God showed Joseph what his future would be. God showed Joseph what his calling would be, what the destination was going to be in his life. He showed him his calling. And the cool thing is, every bit of it came to pass. All of it. What God did not show Joseph was what was going to happen between the time of the vision and its fulfillment. Because I don't know if Joseph would have been so quick to tell his brothers about the dream if he knew what was coming. God did not show Joseph how his brothers were going to gang up, beat the snot out of him, throw him in a well, and try to kill him. But one of his brothers, who had a conscience, said, no, let's not murder our brother. Let's just tell everyone that he's dead, and we'll sell him. So that's what they did. I know some of you were thinking, does that still work today? Because I've got a couple of relatives that, I, you know, I'm just saying, I'm just, just saying. God did not show him that he would work as a slave in Egypt, a group of people that were not liked by his people. They believed themselves above, the Egyptians below. He was going to serve people he thought were beneath him. He was not told that he would work his way up to a position of authority in the household of his new master, and then, through a false accusation, have all of that ripped away from him, and then be imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit. He was not told about that. 
And in the process of this, just so that you understand, to make sure that a slave is obedient to the master, typically uh, throughout history, the, the, the pattern was the same. You were going to be beaten into submission every day until they thought your will was broken, and then you could be shaped into the person they needed you to be. And when you were transferred over into a prison, it was the same thing. Any infraction that you had, you were beaten to the point where you realized that you would never cross that line again. He was never told that any of these things would happen. He was not told about the physical, mental, and spiritual difficulties and challenges that he was going to have to endure before that vision was going to come to pass. How many times do you think Joseph was ready to give up? Now remember, Joseph had been taught what it meant to worship the Lord Most High. He understood the, 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 the morality of God. He understood some kind of law of God. Remember, even before the nation of Israel, there was an organized method of worship. There was an understanding of God Most High and his standards. And he knew those. You can tell because when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, he said, no, this would be a sin against God. So there was an understanding of right and wrong, moral and immoral. How many times do you think he was? He thought to himself, if this is what it means to serve God, I'm done. I'm done. How many times have you heard that? If this is what it's like to be a Christian in a church in the United States today, I'm done. If this is what it means to be part of a family of God, I would rather be a Satanist. I've known people. Who've had these views. Because they have just been mistreated so much. They just gave up. They just, just, I'm, I'm finished. Some of you may have been there more than once. But you see, that's not what he did. And that's important. Because what he was able to do was separate the sin of men from the goodness of God. We forget to do that. And that's why a lot of us get derailed from the calling that's in our life. We run into difficulty, and we think the world's against us. So we step to the side. Let me put your mind at ease. The world is against you. (laughs) Ta-da! But you have to be able to separate the sin of man from the goodness of God. Because you're going to run into both. Joseph just did the next thing. One of the things that we, and I mean all believers, have to come to terms with is that we do not get to choose the path that God sets before us. If you think you have control over your destiny, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. You get to make decisions. But God is still going to do something with your life, whether you like it or not. Those who try to control your life end up wandering. This is one of the reasons why I believe that many are called and few are chosen. And I want to show you a little bit of the difference between those who are chosen and those who wander. Okay? He chooses the path that he lays before us. Our choice is to walk it out or not. Let me explain what this looks like. What did Joseph do while he was in his father's house? 
What is it that Joseph did in his father's house? Anything he was asked. That's why he had authority. That's why he had position. That's why he was given the type of roles that he was given. He would do whatever his father had asked him to do. You see from the rest of the story that his brothers were a little bit rebellious. They'd like to do their own thing. Joseph did whatever dad wanted, and he did it well. What did Joseph do when he was sold as a slave into Potiphar's house? He did whatever Potiphar wanted. You want me to mop? I'll mop. You want me to feed feed the animals? I'll feed the animals. You want me to take care of your guests and make sure everyone's happy? I'll do that. You want me to hem your pants? Fine. I'll have you. Whatever. It didn't make any difference. Joseph did whatever Potiphar wanted, and God blessed his hands because his hands were in the moment. His hands weren't behind his back going, no, I have a calling on my life, and my calling is not to serve a bunch of Egyptians. I am chosen of God. Big deal. You might be chosen of God, but God has you on a path. And guess what? There's a task in front of you. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to decide you're above it? Or are you just going to do what's in front of you? What did Joseph do when he was put in jail? He did whatever the warden wanted. It didn't matter what it was. Joseph ends up running Potiphar's house. That's taken from him. Well, let's go back a little step. Joseph ends up basically taking care of dad's business. Then he ends up in Potiphar's house. He ends up taking care of Potiphar's whole house. Then he ends up in jail. He ends up running the jail. Here's the cool part. When he gets out of jail in front of Pharaoh, he ends up running the country. He ends up running the country that sold it, that bought him as a slave and then put him in prison. He was in charge of everything. Could you imagine every guard in that prison that had ever said a harsh word to Joseph? Going, I'm sorry, he's what now? I need a transfer. (laughs) It's insane. But what did he do? Everything we read about him tells us the same thing. He did whatever was put in front of him and he didn't complain. He gave his all to whatever God brought to the front of his path. He just did the next thing. And then he did the next thing. And then the next thing. And as you stop complaining and continue to do what is put in front of you, doors will eventually open. Joseph had to wait. Forgive me if I got the date, I got the numbers wrong, but I believe it was 17 years in between all of this. It's either 11 or 17. I can't remember exactly what it was. How long do we have to be in limbo before God finally opens that last door and we get happy with where we are? It may be a heck of a lot longer than you want. Actually, I'll guarantee you it will be. And you're going to go through things you never thought you'd be able to go through. That's the point. Now, I'm very confident that none of these things in Joseph's life were on his his list of how to fulfill the role of God in my life and get my brothers and parents to bow before me as their ruler. Pretty sure there was not something that he was thinking about. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a slave. I'm going to be a prisoner. And I'm going to rule Egypt. There. I have a three-point plan. I seriously didn't think that, I don't think that that's what he was doing. 
Joseph did not want to want to be where he was. This was not the future that he was given. But it is what it is. You are where you are. You're in the position that you're in. Now what? Make a decision. You guys have heard me say this before. Are you willing to do the best you can with what you have? If we're not willing to do the best we can with what we have, why do we think God would bring us more? He won't. He'll wait. He's very patient. You see, he knows he's going to get you to the goal, but he needs you to be a certain person when you arrive. He's trying to shape something in your character through the path that he's taking you. Your awesomeness, wherever it was when you started, is insufficient to where you need to be when you get there. Joseph in dad's house was not going to be the Joseph that was going to be controlling Egypt when he stepped in front of Pharaoh. It wasn't the same. Things had to happen. Some humility, some, some, some growth needed to happen in him. So he had to go through what God brought him through. Think about this. God did not use the path of Joseph's life to get him to his destination. He also used it to make him into the man he needed to be when he arrived. Remember, just before they brought Joseph to Pharaoh, they had to give him a bath, a shave, and a change of clothes. That's how bad he had it. He may have been in control of the prison, but he was still in prison. That's just Joseph. Second guy is is Moses. Moses was called by God to free the people of, uh, of Israel many years, a few hundred years after the time of Joseph. If you want to read about it, read the book of Exodus. Now, you think about this. Moses was raised in the house of Pharaoh. At one point in time, all the young, the, the young kids in Egypt were put to death because they were, they, were, they were worried. So Moses was put in a little bassinet and sent down the creek, and Pharaoh's daughter found him and brought him into the house as her own. But it was pretty obvious that this was a Hebrew. But it didn't matter. He was raised in the house of Pharaoh. He was given the best education of his day. He was literally raised with a silver spoon in his, in his mouth while the rest of his people suffered in slavery. If he had just kept his mouth closed, he had a very bright future ahead of him, a very easy life. But he couldn't do it. He knew he needed to do something to help his people. So he lost his temper one day, killed a prison guard. Whoops, bad idea. One of the Hebrews let him know that he saw him. He got scared, took off for Midian. He ran a long way. Stayed there for 40 years. 40 years. Got married, had kids. Kind of forgot about things. I'm not going to be the one to set my people free. That's not going to happen. Then, God steps in. God says, set my people free. Go set my people free. And he's like, back there? I don't want it. I like my life. Go (laughs) set my people free. Do you notice the amount of direction that God gave him in that process? Go 
I'll be with you. So he went. Pharaoh was not very pleased to lose his slave labor force. It took a long time, a bunch of miracles, and ten plagues before Pharaoh was finally broke enough to just say, just get out. I don't even care what you take. Loot the country. It doesn't, I, just leave. We're si- I'm, I can't do this. Just go. And meanwhile, the Egyptian people, are, or the, Isra- the Israelite people are seeing miracle after miracle after miracle happen on their behalf. This is amazing. God's people are set free. They're, bought, they're brought to Mount Sinai. They see the presence and glory of God up on the mountain. It's amazing. Moses goes up and they think, he's been up there a little while. Maybe he's dead. Here's an idea. Let's build an altar like the Egyptians have. And that'll be our God. Sure, that's going to make God really happy. Let's all of a sudden just let go of the one that got us out of Egypt and let's build a giant cow. Whatever. Thousands of them die at the foot of the, of the mountain. And then they're basically taken to the border of the promised land. Moses is dealing with them in this entire time. Probably thinking, what in the world? I, I didn't want this. And at one point in time, Moses just said, if this is what it's like to lead your people, kill me. <laughs> just Kill me now. And God said, no. So the God brings them to the foot of the promised land. And they decide that the, the journey into the promise of God is too dangerous. They don't want to go. Let me read this in Joshua chapter 5. Starting in verse 6, says the Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died. For they had disobeyed the Lord and the Lord vowed he would not let them enter the land he had sworn to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. So God breaks them out of Egypt, shows them miracle after miracle, shows them what he's going to do to protect them, literally parts the Red Sea, destroys the army of Egypt, and they get to the border of the promised land, and they go, they're really big. I know the feeling every time I'm in Walmart. What I need is way up there. This is not something that all of a sudden, like the, the thought is, God is not big enough to get me there safely in a way that I am comfortable with. Okay. God says, you don't want to go? No problem. Start walking. Start walking. I'm going to give it to your kids. And they're going to make, they're going to go do it. The battle you don't want to fight is now going to be left to your children. And not only is it going to be left to your children, but the nations that are smaller now that you would have to conquer are going to be bigger and more fortified, and the battles that your children are going to have are going to be harder than the ones that you have right now. They would have known this. So they start walking for 40 years. Why did God have them wander so far? We call it wandering in the wilderness, but here's, here's, here's the reality. Um, they weren't really wandering. They weren't aimless or directionless. 
They were on a path that God had ordained so that the next time his people came to the border of the promised land, they would be the people that he needed them to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? The people he needed them to be, were not, they were not willing to take the land. He needed a different type of people. He needed his people to be something else. So he wandered, with, he let them wander and, and grew them to the point where they would be a different group when they got there. Think about the conversation going on with the kids while they're wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. The conversation could have been something like this had they taken the land when it was given to them. Dad, why did we get this land? How did we get here? How did we get out of Egypt? Son, it was amazing. Moses shows up, miracle after miracle. God does these amazing things, sends plagues, plagues on, on, on Egypt. He parts the Red Sea. We walk. We get to the border. He says, I'm with you. We say, yeah, we go in. We conquered everything. Our God is strong. But that's not what the conversation would have been like, was it? Dad, why are we wandering through the wilderness like this? Well, son, it, it, it looks like this. We were slaves in Egypt for a really long time. And then God sent a deliverer, Moses. That Moses? Yeah, that Moses. And he came to Egypt, and he went to bat for us with Pharaoh. And God sent plague after plague on the nation of Egypt until they let us go. And then when they let us go, they chased us down. God parted the Red Sea, destroyed the army. God took us to his mountain. Amazing miracles were happening. You should have seen what God had done for us. Food raining down from it. This was, it was, it was so amazing. Then God brought us up to the border of the promised land. Son, and I need you to understand this. I'm so sorry. He brought us to the border of the promised land and we wouldn't go. We were afraid that our God, dad, the God that did all of that. Yes, we were afraid that that God wasn't big enough for what was ahead. So God is making us wander until your mother and I are gone. And then he's going to give you the opportunity to take the promised land. Don't make the mistake we made. I wonder how many times that conversation played out in the lives of the children and the families wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. I'll bet you it happened. But that conversation led the kids to become a different group of people. See, when they got to the promised land the first time, the scouts were like, hey, let's send some people in there and make sure this is okay. No, the second time they were like, go to the city and make sure they're ready for us to take it down. We're, we're doing this. Oh, by the way, and the first one we're going to take is the, is the one that everyone's afraid of. This is happening, man. We're not making this mistake again. You see, if you're pursuing the call of God in your life and things are not going the way that you envisioned them, consider a couple things. Sometimes we're not where we think we should be because we're so focused on our plan that we're missing the plan that God is laying in front of us. And what we don't realize is that God is trying to do something in us and we are not who God needs us to be when we get to the point where our calling is fulfilled. There's something we need to go through. We need to submit ourselves to his plan and get rid of our idea of what should happen. Of course, it's going to be A, B, C, D. We're done. This is, this is the way it's going to work. 
Because I've talked to God and I've worked it out with him. You've got to let go of your plan. And sometimes you're not there because you're not ready. It's not that the plan isn't ready. You're not ready. Just like Joseph. On another side, you may be ready to go. Moses was ready to go. Joshua and Caleb were ready to go. But the people you're traveling with aren't. Sometimes the goal isn't reached. The land isn't conquered because the army that you're marching with is too afraid to take the land. So guess what? You may end up wandering fully ready to go with a group of people who aren't. See, the church is comprised of individuals who are an army. We are one. We are many. You have an individual calling, but we also have our calling as a community. If we're not ready to go, guess what? We might wander for 40 years, and it may be the kids that end up taking up the burden. It's not unprecedented, is it? Pay attention to what's in front of you. Do what needs to be done and trust that God is going to open the path as he sees fit. He'll open the door when he wants the door open. And he'll keep it closed as long as he wants it, wants it closed. Stop beating on it. Just trust it. Let me share one thing just from how I got here. Because I walked through a lot of the same stuff. Now many of you know that I'm here at this church because I met Dick Beaumont on a missions trip. What you don't know is the path that, had to, that I had to take to get here. See, I got saved in 1994 on my birthday. I know exactly how long I've known the Lord. It's been 28 years now. <laughs> anyway. So I got saved, I got saved on my birthday. I had, I had recently graduated from culinary school. I had a plan for my life. I knew exactly where my life was going to go, and it, was, it had nothing to do with serving in the church. I was going to be a Christian with a career and money. That's what, that was my plan. Two weeks after I, 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 I met the Lord, there was a missionary from, uh, a minister from Texas. His name was Tommy Williams, one of the biggest men I've ever seen in my entire life. He was praying for me. He put his hand on my head and his fingers like draped underneath my chin. I mean, this was a big, big, big guy. Uh, and he's, he's basically holding my hand and he leans down. It took him like five minutes to lean. That's how big this guy is. He's leaning down. And in that, you know, soft, subtle country voice, he goes, boy, do you know you're calling the full-time ministry? I looked up at him and I said, yes. I have no idea why I said yes, because I had no, no, I didn't have any idea what he was talking about. But I had an, I had an inkling of something like that. So, okay, full-time ministry. Well, this really makes college a waste. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't know what to do. So I, in, in the church that I was in, I just started doing whatever anybody wanted. We're having a meeting. Okay, do you need anything? Sure, come here and do this. Okay, fine. I ended up going to another church in Watertown, Faith Fellowship. I got there. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. So I just did whatever anybody asked me to do. You're having a, one of the first things I ended up doing, they're having a graduation celebration. Hey, we hear you make cakes. Yes, I do. Can you make us a cake? Sure. So I made a cake. All of a sudden, everyone knew who I was because I bought and brought a giant cake. Need something cleaned? Fine, I'll clean. 
Need someone to take care of the cables in the worship team? Fine, I'll do that. It didn't matter what was going on. If I got asked, I did it. And while I was going, I, I, I began to gain in a little bit of, uh, a little bit of, a little bit of a position, kind of get, get known by people. And I, I ended up doing youth ministry. I was, um, uh, I was, I was leading worship. Um, I was leading the, the Christian group on JCC. Things were moving along and I was like, this is the way this is supposed to go. See, in my career, I was still working in the restaurants, but I had, I had, de- I had decided I didn't want to take any promotions. I wasn't going to move into management because I had a calling on my life. And those, please pay attention to this, those promotions, those people who recognized a skill level in my life that wanted to promote it, those people were of the devil. And they're trying to derail me. How dare you throw position and money and training in, at me? You servants of Satan? I have a calling on my life. No, I'm supposed to be poor. Okay. And I'm, I'm doing all this and everything is looking like, you know, this is great. I know exactly what's going to happen. And then, rug pulled. You see, I was told literally for years, we're waiting for this position to become ready, and when it opens up, it's yours. Okay. Turn down management, turn down management, turn down management. Position came available, went to somebody else. Here's the kicker. I was never even in on the conversation. After it was announced in church, before I even knew about it, I was taken aside and told it was decided that it would be wrong to offer me that position. I later found out the issue was the authorities that were making the decision didn't believe I would make a good pastor. I wasn't right for full-time ministry. I found out why later. What I learned was that everything that I had done meant nothing. So I did the only thing I could think of. I just stopped trying. I had had, you can ask Samantha, I was done. I was done. I would do what needed to happen, but I was done. I took the first promotion that was offered me. I started to grow in the company. I was very, on the uh, Without being vain, on the restaurant side of things, I was very good at what I did. We started making money. I started getting promoted. No big deal. I took the calling that I believed I had, and I put it over here. I said, if it happens, fine, but I'm not, I'm not putting anything else into this. I can't pour anything else out from me for this and have that happen again. Well, here's what ended up happening. I started growing in the business, got into a really good position, started making decent money. In the church I was at, there was a group of ministers heading over to Ghana. They needed someone to go with them. Two months before the trip and two weeks before the money had to be in for the plane tickets. After nobody else wanted to go, they needed a fourth person. The fourth person they needed was not going to preach or teach. They were there to serve the other ministers, get them water, carry their notes, take some pictures, make sure they're healthy, make sure they eat. 
Oh, and by the way, you've got to pay your own way. It's around $2,400. We need the money for the plane ticket next week. And there's nothing, there's no money to support you. No, surprisingly, no one wanted to go. They asked me if I would go. And I thought, you know what? That actually sounds like fun. I've never, I've, uh, Joseph Anochi was the guy we were going with. I, I would love to see where he lived. Samantha knows I love to travel. I want to see Africa. Absolutely. I was in a financial position to be able to go. It wasn't an issue. We just wrote the check. So I went. That's where I met Dick Boma. We hit it off. We became fast friends. When I came back, some of you, uh, most of you honestly probably don't remember this. Jeff, you might remember this. When I got back about, about a, a month or so after we got back from, from Ghana, Dick asked me to come in and preach at the church. I thought, that's great. I went out to the church. Well, Samantha and I were both kind of thinking the same thing. Good Lord, this place is in the middle of nowhere. It's the old church with the red roof up on Doran Road. You know, you didn't find it unless you were lost. Right? You're like, I didn't know there's a red roof in here. This is great. We went, we were just like, wow, that church, let's, let's go back to the bigger church in the city. <laughs> you know, like this was, this was amazing. I had, I, had, I had a good time. Went back to my church, my life went on. Started building my career. Some point in time, the frustration of where I was got to the point where both me and Samantha realized it was time for us to go. We didn't know where. We had a couple of options. Samantha was really hoping it was Carolinas. So we had some friends down there. I said, I think I'm supposed to go help out Dick Beaumont. There was no offer. There was nothing on the table. There was no position. I said, I think I'm just supposed to go help Dick Beaumont. And she said, yeah, I've kind of felt the same thing. I said, you know, we're both like, you do realize where we're talking about, right? Yeah. And I was convinced, and I've said this before, my ministry career was over. I was, I was going to be a helper in the church and with a career. That's basically all that, all that, that was going to be there. So we left, came here. When I sat down, I took Dick Beaumont out to dinner. And, I, and uh, he's like, so what, what's going on? I said, well, I, I think Samantha and I have been talking, and I think I'm supposed to leave where I am and come out and work with you. <laughs> he looks at me, and he goes, you really thought about this? <laughs> Are you sure? I said, yeah, I'm sure. And he's like, uh, oh, okay. So we came out. We had no idea what was going on. Uh, in, in like six months, I was his assistant. Um, assistant for three and a half years. He ended up going on sabbatical um, in, the, in the fourth year. I knew something was up. He came back and he said, I, th- I think I'm supposed to go to Oswego. And immediately Samantha and I are like, yes, we're going to Syracuse. We're gonna, I'm going to transfer from the company I'm in down to like, you know, Fayetteville or something like that. It's going to be amazing. Finally out of the North country to a place where there's civilization. This is so great. The guy that we were originally talking to to take the church was like, no, we don't want it. And then he, (laughs) you and Bob, like, we should ask George. And my soul cried out, no! When he asked, it was, it was pretty immediate. We're like, okay, so this is obviously why we're here. I didn't, I didn't see it coming. But let's step back. For over 10 years, I followed my plan and got results until the results were not going to go any farther. And out of frustration, 
I gave up my plan and just yielded myself to whatever was in front of me. No matter how ludicrous it sounded. Because I did that, I took the promotions that were in front of me. Because I took the promotions in front of me, I had the money to go on the trip. Because I had the money to go on the trip, I met Dick Beaumont. Because I met Dick Beaumont, I'm here. I would have not chosen that path. But it was what's in front of me. When you find yourself frustrated to the point where you don't know why God is doing this. Why is my life not where it's supposed to be? I can almost guarantee you it's because you're so focused on your idea of what your life is supposed to look like. You can't see the path that's in front of you. Stop deciding what your life should look like and just do what's in front of you. Just do the task at hand and the path will open itself up. When we fight God, we get nowhere. We have to be fighting ourselves and then God will take us everywhere. You have to yield yourself to the plan that's in front of you. That doesn't mean you don't think about things and don't make good decisions. But your plans are not God's plans. What does he say? Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. Give up. And I think at that point, you'll start to find what God has in your life. might take you a little while, but you've got to let go of what you think your life is supposed to be. If you really want to know what God has in store for you, then let him show you his way.